Bible, shall we, to Galatians chapter 1. Galatians chapter 1. We're going to read from verse 11 to the end of the chapter. As you're finding your way there, did you realize that 2010 was a record-breaking year for the British public? Apparently, we made more fraudulent claims to insurance companies than any other year before that. People making up stories for personal gain. 2,500 claims were made every week. Unbelievable. Week. Adding up to a total value of 919 million bucks. That's a lot of money for a lot of things that didn't actually happen. Such as a man who claimed for back injuries apparently sustained from a fall at work who was spotted through his a sequence of Facebook photos doing a cartwheel in a nightclub. <laughs> Brilliant. Watch out. These insurance companies are very adept at spotting false claims now, you know. Or a man who claimed for a lost engagement ring, his ex-partner said that she was never given a ring as they had never actually been engaged. Fraudulent claims, people making up stories for personal gain. Not so with the gospel. Not so with the Apostle Paul. Let's read from Galatians 1 to see what he has to say about the gospel. Is it man-made? Is it made up for personal gain? Well, let's have a read. I want you to know, brothers, that the gospel I preached is not something that man made up. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. For you have heard about of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many Jews of my own age and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when God, who had set me apart from birth and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not consult any man. Nor did I go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was. But I went immediately into Arabia and later returned to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Peter and stayed with him 15 days. I saw none of the other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother. I assure you before God that what I am writing, what I am writing to you is no lie. Later, I went to Syria and Cilicia. I was personally unknown to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only heard the report. The man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they praised God because of me. 
this is God's word. Let's pray together and ask for his help in understanding it. Lord, we thank you that you have ordained in your purposes to bless the preaching of your word, both through preacher and through hearer, as your spirit works uh, to confirm the testimony of the very word of God that we have just read. We pray tonight that you would unstop our ears, that we may hear your word spoken in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, is the gospel man-made? Is it someone's invention, someone's concoction for some personal gain? In these churches of Galatia, remember, there are false teachers who are coming in and they are questioning Paul's validity as an apostle, so as a missionary of sorts. And they are questioning, secondly, his message. It sounds like they themselves, as they come in, are claiming to be the ones who have this bona fide training from Jerusalem, where the true church lives and works and moves. And we've come along there saying, to hear this gospel that you're believing from Paul, and that there's no mention of any kind of work like circumcision or, or any keeping of any certain religious laws or feasts and the like. And they're saying, oh, no, 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 this boy has not had his training in our theological school. And this boy's gospel seems to be a little bit wonky. It's not all there. And so what we see in Galatians is Paul already saying uh, showing us earlier on from verse 6 his astonishment that these people, the people in the Galatian churches, are deserting him who called them by his love and by his grace and running after these men, running after this gospel, which is, as Paul says, a perversion. It's no gospel at all. It certainly does not have the power to save. And what we have throughout Galatians is Paul just answering so many of these questions and these doubts that the false teachers are sowing into the minds of the people in these churches. And in these first two chapters, essentially what we have is just this little bit of an autobiography of Paul's life. It's his conversion story, really, but it's rich pickings for us. There are two things that I think we'll see here tonight uh, the origin of the gospel from God and the power of the gospel to transform. And just so you don't have palpitations, uh, the first point is going to be excessively larger than the second point. So when I say, and now on to point two, you're not going to go, what? Um, there we are. Point one, the origin of the gospel, according to Paul in Galatians 1, is that it is from God. It's from God. Paul's gospel was not devised by Paul. It was given by God. Look with me at verse 11. I want you to know, brothers, in other words, get this, know this, that the gospel I preached is not something that man made up. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. So he's saying straight off the off the bat here. Get this. The gospel I preach to you is not an invention. No one fabricated it. It's not a tradition. No church leader or mentor has handed this message 
onto me. No, it's purer than that. I've got it, as it were, from the horse's mouth. It came by revelation. Paul's claim, this gospel was disclosed to me by the very one who is the subject of the gospel, Jesus Christ. This is what we saw in Acts 9. You can hear a little bit of a different version of that in Acts 26, when Paul is giving an account of his conversion when on trial. And Paul explains to us that, uh, as we saw in Acts 9, Paul and his troops armed with handcuffs and a whole bunch of search warrants with no names on them, except to fill in those who are Christians. They're on the way to arrest any Christians they found, but a blinding light stopped them in his tracks. Heaven essentially flashed around Paul, and the Lord Jesus Christ himself spoke to him. Saul, why do you persecute me? Who spoke to him? The Lord Jesus Christ. This is what Paul is claiming in regards to this revelation of the gospel. Now, it's not that Paul knew nothing about the good news that the Christians had been spreading so far. Actually, Paul knew enough about this good news that the Christians were spreading. He knew enough about it to want to kill them for it. Paul had information about the Christian faith. He just didn't have illumination. That's what he needed. And Jesus appearing to Paul on this road to Damascus was the means by which Paul received the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And what's more, Jesus appearing to Paul confirmed for him the truth that the news the church was spreading was for real. That Jesus really was the Messiah, the, prom the one God had promised from of old. And the Jews and Romans had conspired certainly to crucify this Messiah and that this Messiah, Jesus Christ, really was, three days later, risen from the dead, really was lifted up to the highest place of honor, and no doubt really will return to judge the living and the dead. That's Paul's claim. This is what, what is becoming real to Paul. And his main point here at the start in denouncing this critique of these false teachers who have come after him is that this gospel is not humanly devised but God-given. And in order then to give, to reinforce the authenticity of this claim that it's from God by revelation, he reminds everyone how unlikely a candidate he was for believing the gospel by going a little bit deeper and telling us something of his conversion. And the second thing we see is that Paul's appointment was uh, was not volunteered by him. He was chosen by God. And verses 13 and 14 make mention of this former life. What do we see? A man politely pursuing an education in the church or violently pursuing the eradication of the church? It's clearly the latter. Look with me at verse 13. For you've heard of my previous way of life in Judaism how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many Jews of my own age, extremely zealous for the tradition of my fathers. See what's driving Paul's life before he met Jesus on the road to Damascus? What do you see for your, What do you see there? What is he zealous for? 
well, Judaism, the traditions of my fathers, he says. He's passionately committed to a movement of strict Jews called Pharisees who in trying to live full pelt for God make two fatal mistakes. One, in trying to keep the law of Moses to the letter, they miss the very point of the law of Moses. It was meant to help them love God and meant to help them love their neighbor. But for them, it was just a checklist. Tick, done that. Tick, done that. They missed the whole point. Secondly, in trying to find ways to please God, they actually added onto this law of Moses hundreds, literally hundreds of extra laws, extensions to these laws, and like some kind of moral police, crushed everyone who failed to keep those laws with guilt and with shame. Romans 10 describes them. It says these people did not know a righteousness from God, but sought to establish a righteousness of their own. God's righteousness was not enough. That's what Paul was doing. That's the life he was living. And don't misunderstand this. He was a good guy in his eyes. He wouldn't have seen himself as some kind of dark alley thug or a kind of mafioso who thrived on violence. He thought he was the cream of the crop in terms of living a religious life. And for Paul, the way to get yourself on a right standing with God was to obey the letter of the law. And he, he thought God loved him for this. He thought he was a righteous man. In the book of Philippians, where he gives a little account of his life, he said he considered himself blameless, pretty much without sin and error. Wow. These are the men who, when they crucified Christ, thought they were doing a service to God. You are welcome, Almighty Father. <laughs> they had just killed the eternal Son of God. And in the same way, Paul was utterly convinced that he was doing right, even by persecuting Christians. Even though it was totally at odds, really, with the law he said he kept. It's as if he says, so zealous was I, for the law of Moses, that I violated the law of Moses to defend the law of Moses and saw no inconsistency in that whatsoever. It's how blinded he was by his zeal for the traditions of his fathers and a movement of Judaism more than the Lord God himself. Why is Paul telling us all of this? to show us that there was absolutely nothing about his religious background that could possibly account for this change in his life where the persecutor of those who spread the gospel became a preacher who spread the gospel himself. And Paul's insisting that there is only one thing, only one thing that could account for the genuineness of his ministry as an apostle and the authenticity of his message that is the gospel. What's that? He received it by a revelation from Jesus Christ. It is actually God-given. 
And that revelation brought about for him a radical transformation through a supernatural arrest of him on the road to Damascus. Look at me at verse 15 and 17. God set me apart from birth, called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the Gentiles. Now remember, Paul is assuring the Galatians that he really is a genuine apostle and points to God's call in his life here, says, before I knew anything about the gospel, God set me apart for this. He literally, in Greek the word is, he literally cordoned me off for this. I was divinely appointed to this ministry with this message. And he says, I didn't do anything to deserve this appointment. According to the conversation he had with Jesus on the Damascus Road, Paul was persecuting the church, even Jesus himself by doing so. Yet God, God gave him grace, didn't he? no other explanation for it. God was gracious towards him. Paul didn't volunteer for this. He didn't have a, a change of heart one day when he was thinking, do you know what logically I think this is? Right, no, he was apprehended. He was careering in the opposite direction and God took hold of him and transformed his life. It had all been down to one thing according to Paul. It was the pleasure of God. God was pleased to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the Gentiles. God was pleased to reveal his son to Paul so that Paul could go on to reveal his son to the nations. So even his conversion is authenticating the divine origin of the gospel. It is from God. What's more, he backs that up again in verses 16 to 24, Paul's validation for his mission was not derived from the church, but recognized by the church. Verses 16 to 24 account for this. I won't read all of it, but let me pick out a couple of main points. Verse 16 says, I did not consult any man, nor did I go to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was. Again, remember, Paul is stressing this gospel is God-given. It's not man-made. And his appointment wasn't from man, but from God. And he's now insisting that he didn't learn this gospel from other apostles in Jerusalem. He just got on with preaching the gospel. In Acts 9, you see that what he did was, after Ananias had been to visit Paul, Paul immediately went to these places that he mentions here, Arabia, Damascus, and began sharing the gospel, even to the point where in Damascus he had to escape because people didn't like his message he was lured in a basket from someone's window to try and escape and he's insisting he didn't learn this gospel from any of the apostles in Jerusalem he's insisting he hadn't been trained in any of the churches in the north in Judea they didn't know Paul personally as his claim they only knew of him they reported the story that the man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy and they praise God because of me. What is Paul saying? In all of this, this is not man-made, this gospel. It truly is of divine origin. I wasn't trained in it, he's saying. I wasn't taught it. It didn't all of a sudden just come to me and I thought, actually, 
I think I would quite like to follow Jesus. No, he was apprehended by a revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ according to God's good pleasure that he might be an apostle, a missionary entrusted with a divine message, divine appointment, divine message. Paul's way of life in Judaism, God's appointment of him as an apostle, his near total isolation from the epicenter of this Christian faith, the churches in Jerusalem, all show us that the gospel Paul preached was not man-made, that he didn't receive it from any man, nor was he taught it, rather he received it by revelation. And in verse 20 he says, I assure you before God that what I am writing to you is no lie. This is true. So what? So what? Well, first for Christians, secondly for non-Christians. For the Christians. Remember the reason why Paul's writing to the Galatians? False teachers had come along making the same mistake with the gospel that the Pharisees, including Paul in his former life, had made with the Old Testament. They were in Paul's own words in verse 7, throwing, verse 7? Verse 7. Throwing the Christians in Galatia into confusion are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. Why? They were adding to it. They were adding to the gospel, saying, Paul hasn't been trained properly. His gospel isn't fully formed. He's taught that you, that you are justified, made right with God, just by believing in God. Not by observing the law, but we're here to tell you that you're made right with God, God yes, by believing that Jesus is the Messiah, but also by trying really hard to please God, you know, just to make sure that you're acceptable in his sight. They were adding to the gospel. So they were saying, so you better be circumcised. And we brought a list of some essential practices that you had better adopt or else God might not receive you. The Galatians, unfortunately, were buying into it and failing to see the error in it. And I wonder if you see the error in it. That adding some kind of human effort or requirement to this doctrine called justification, where we are made right with God, adding something except faith and repentance, do you see that adding anything else perverts the gospel to the extent that it no longer is good news? It's bad news. That's what Paul's saying. It's no gospel at all. And Paul says the beauty of the gospel is found in the grace of Christ. That's what he says in verse 6. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by the what? Grace of Christ. How was Paul called? Chosen by grace. You're made right with God because of what Christ did. His complete, his finished work. You're made right because of what he did, not because of what you do. You benefit 
out of his good pleasure. You don't benefit by adding to the gospel as if you should be congratulated then in keeping the laws you add to it. We benefit in the gospel out of his good pleasure, not because we deserve it. It is by grace objection comes in. Well, really, what has this got to do with me? I'm a Christian. I'm not thinking about getting circumcised. I'm not thinking about starting any kind of ceremonial washings. What's the point? Well, no, you're probably not planning on doing any of those things. But you read your Bible, don't you? You pray. Maybe you fast. There are various disciplines that we can practice as Christians. Objection. Are you saying these things are bad? No, not at all. But it depends on why you're doing them. You see, it's all too easy to allow some kind of dangerous shift to take place in our hearts and minds where we take the very things that God has intended to be a, a means of channeling and experiencing God's grace, like Bible reading and prayer, and then to make it into a means of, of A, expressing confidence in ourselves, or B, just making ourselves just that little bit more lovely to the Lord. Oh, I prayed, so God will accept me. I did, I, I did not miss any of my McShane readings this week, so God must love me and be pleased with me. Do we see the errors in those things? Do we see the ways in which they can then be gospel plus we can pray or read our Bibles thinking that by doing these things, we can earn more favor with God, that we are that little bit more lovable to God. But that's adding to the gospel. It claims, in essence, that the death of Jesus Christ on the cross was either unnecessary or insufficient at its very root. You see, God loves you despite who you are. Such is his love. God's love for you has been fully expressed to the maximum by sending his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, into this world to die on the cross for your sin. You don't need to make yourself out to be any more lovely for him to want to love you. He already knows how messy and mucked up our lives actually are. And here's the beauty of the gospel. He loves you despite who you are. What's your motivation for reading your Bible? What's your motivation for doing these things of the Christian life? It's heart desire that contorts these things and makes them not good and godly things and means by which God channels his grace to us. But they can become stumbling blocks actually in our faith when we take the gospel and add on arms and legs, we can end up with no gospel at all. And we'll get into this a lot more as Galatians goes on. My encouragement for all of us who are Christians are not to make the same mistakes as the false teachers were making. Not seeing that this gospel is coming in its purest form. 
it is spoken in such truth that we must believe it and hold on to it. Never move on from it and please never ever add to it. We must hold one another accountable for the things we do, for the things we say. I'm not talking about just from a pulpit, although I do include that. I'm talking about the conversations we have over coffee or when we go out with our friends. For people who remain crushed in their sin and feeling guilty for sins that they have committed a week ago who are failing to apply Romans chapter 8 verse 1 the truth that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus if that is what the scripture says and if all of that is hanging on the cross the death of our Lord Jesus Christ on the cross why would you wallow in that when Jesus has paid the price for it and made a way for you to be free of that shame within an instant of your confession. We need to hold one another account and say, brother, sister, don't wallow in this. Understand the gospel. Apply. Pour the gospel on. Rub it into their hearts until they get it. That we have an advocate, Jesus Christ, the righteous one, who made what? An atonement for our sins. John 2 verse 1 adding to the gospel in that situation means we don't apply gospel bam we just start to mull over the many ways in which we've failed and in doing so point to those things as being that which merits our favour with God but the gospel is from God the gospel is pure and as Christians, we can encourage one another with it, never move on for it, and never, ever add to it. What about if you're here and you're not a Christian? You see what Paul's little autobiography means for you. It, it truly does mean that this gospel originates with God in heaven, not with man on earth. If Paul really has received such a special revelation of Christ, he cannot be misrepresenting Christ, and we can then, therefore, trust his words to be true. Do you trust them? The story of his conversion is meant to create in us, in you, who do not believe, a confidence in the power and extent of the gospel. Because everyone knows that the apostles in Jerusalem are those who walked with with Jesus and studied Jesus and heard Jesus talk and all that and then when they write, they write what Jesus, what they heard Jesus say and what they saw Jesus did and those Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, very historically reliable. Here's the miracle that Paul says in Galatians, I'm preaching the same gospel, I'm saying the same things, I had no contact with Jesus as he walked this earth as a man, no contact with those apostles to get this second hand from them, I received it first hand by revelation from the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And it's a gospel of grace. It's God given and it's a gospel of grace which invites you to give up on all your worthless efforts to try and find favor with God and just believe the gospel. To recognize that the stumbling block, the obstacle in the way of you receiving grace, mercy, love, and peace, and forgiveness, and joy, and everything else, is that that 
you're failing to see that Jesus has dealt with that stumbling block, that sin, if you would just come to him and confess your sin, believe in him, or receive from him. That's what transformed Paul's life, and it also can transform yours. I've heard people say, oh, I've never, I'll never have a Damascus Road experience. No, you won't. You really won't. No one will. You're not going to get heaven's lights flashing around you. But you have the word of the testimony made true before you that you can believe and know the very same transformation that Paul experienced. Because this is point two. The power of the gospel. So the origin of the gospel from God. The power of the gospel to transform. Paul has taken away the right from you as a non-Christian, you understand, to say, God can't love me. He couldn't possibly love me in light of da-da-da-da-da, all of the things that I have done in my life. The power that is present in God's gospel is the power that makes our current life a former life. You might well be addicted to pornography. Believe the gospel. You might well have cheated on your husband. Believe the gospel. You might well have done this, 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 whatever. Fill in the blanks. You might have made this kind of mistakes that seem to have the power to crush your spirit. My appeal to you tonight, friend, believe the gospel. Paul looked on the times of his former life killing Christians with real sorrow and shame to the extent that he would call himself the least of the apostles. But Paul's story shows us that even in eternity past, God is in his grace overlooking the offense of Paul's cumulative lifelong sin up to this point where he revealed himself to him. Yet still, this was according to the pleasure of God. That is incredible, isn't it? That God would even patiently endure with Paul's sin and the extent of that manifesting attacks on the very people of God. And God, with a great deal of pleasure, reveals Jesus to Paul. If only you could see the pleasure of God in revealing his son to you tonight. If only you could grasp the pleasure of God in transforming a life where you were running from him. Making you into someone who pursues him daily. To turn you from someone who is hating him to turn you into someone who loves him dearly Paul what it takes to receive that gospel for yourself is repentance and faith it's a prayer of confession basically saying to God no one else I'm turning from my sin. I'm sorry I've sinned against you. I'm turning from that sin. And I am turning to you, believing that all of the stuff the gospel tells me about the Lord Jesus Christ, the blood shed, I'm believing that that applies to me. It takes for us to say, like Paul said, the thing I thought was wrong, Christianity, was right the thing I thought was right 
a legalistic observance of a law was wrong. You can fill in your blanks there again. There is only one way to life, and it's through faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. It's having our lives transformed by the gospel that is from God and how it has the power to transform each and every one of us to the extent that we can say even this current life that we know can become a former life because of the power of the gospel. Will you receive him tonight? Will you pray that prayer? Will you confess your sin before him and acknowledge your belief in the gospel? Paul was sorry. His conversion no doubt included repentance and a request for forgiveness. May you, if you're here tonight and you're not a believer, be won by this gospel. Like Paul, for the forgiveness of your sin. And like Paul, for the spreading of this gospel. And may we as believers never add to it, never move on from it, but increase the volume of it as we declare it to our city. Let's pray.